Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, where filmmakers become entrepreneurs. With my dad, he's a dork. Hi, and welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. I'm your host, Scott McMahon, and this is the podcast where we try to help filmmakers become entrepreneurs. Today, my guest is actor Ted Rooney, and Ted has been on Boardwalk Empire, ER, Grimm, The Gilmore Girls. Uh, it's just a ton of films, ton of TV, and he's a Portland native who has since moved back to Portland from Los Angeles a couple years ago with his family, and he shares with us all the trials and tribulations of being an actor, being a working actor, um, all the emotional rides that you have to go through, all the hardcore business um, decisions that you have to deal with, and uh, just to move forward. This is a great share, so I'm just going to get right into it. So this is Ted Rooney here at the Film Trooper Podcast. We met over at the Grain and Gristle over in Northeast Portland, so please enjoy. Okay, we're on. We're on. So anyway, we could just have a conversation. Okay, oh, just talk normal, just like talk regular normal. people talk, yeah. just like we were talking before. Exactly. So I don't need to <laughs> suddenly put on my radio voice. God, it's a good radio voice. I'm a terrible interviewer. I realize when I listen back to these podcasts, I'm always, I'm stammering and stuttering. Well, like to... right now, it's just you're, you're, you're sinking right now. You need to pull yourself out. <laughs> Let's go. Sorry. All right. Wasn't really listening. Not a very, not a very good actor. <laughs> well, listen, uh... Because we always talk about the, the the journey, the hero's journey, and through story, and they always start out with sort of the ordinary world, and in that ordinary world, we just always need to know like where does the character, the come hero, from? or the anti-hero's journey? Yeah, or the anti. In my case, so uh, Portland, Oregon. So you were, you were born here. Born uh, 36th and Hancock was the house I grew up in. And Good gosh. Yeah. And you went to, um, if I'm correct, you went to what's high school? Was it Grant? Grant High School, Madeline Catholic Grade School, one of nine children. Oh my! Good Catholic family. Okay, where are you in the the hierarchy are you in? Seven the of nine. Seven. <laughs> <laughs> now, are how many brothers and sisters then? Uh, there's six boys and three girls. Okay. Now, what are yeah. the are? Is your family all very tall? Um, uh, we go down in increments of inches. I'm 6'6", six, okay. six, a brother 6'5", a brother 6'4", a brother 6'3", a brother 6'2", a brother 6'1", a brother 6 foot, a sister 5'11", a sister 5'10". Really? And then there's a little gap. My mom, my sister was 5'7", and my mom was 5'6", so there's a couple inches that weren't covered there. But my mom had uh, four miscarriages, so oh my. one of those would have definitely, a couple of those would have filled the gap. But um, That is... Yeah, she was, she, she was a baby maker. Oh my God, that is fascinating. That is really fascinating. Because, yeah. you know. It's not as fascinating as uh, one of my students in class now who looks like a 25 year old is a mother of eight children. And uh, she looks fantastic, and her family is just amazing. So, in this day and age, that's remarkable. That is remarkable. Back then, there was a lot of Catholic families there. The, right. the Christians inside 11, they beat us by two. So, <laughs> yeah. It was. My dad's um, grew up Irish Catholic, but he left the church um, like right around the Vietnam War, right when mm -hmm. it started, and that's how he met my mom in Thailand when he was stationed there, oh. and stuff like that. So I kind of grew up, I mean, I, with that side, my father's side, knowing that they're all they were still Irish Catholic, and mm -hmm. just my second cousin's family had eight kids, you know, and so growing up with that TV show Eight Is Enough, that's when my my reference was like, oh yeah, that was normal. So, yep, back then. Definitely. So, 
Did I say? Did you go to school with Sally Struthers, or she just was at the she same? She was school? about 15 years older than me, but okay. um, my dad was one of her favorite teachers. Math. He was a math teacher. Oh. Okay. And uh, we had this picture in our house signed by Sally Struthers when she was on All, All in the Family yeah. that he kept in his office, and uh, um, so I ended up um, on the set of. Uh, um, of Gilmore Girls, yes. Um, first day of shooting, and um, Sally Struthers was cast to play my wife, or I was placed. <laughs> act, actually, better put, I was cast to play her husband. And um, uh, we were sitting next to each other in the uh, in the chairs there on the set, and it was a hot day. And I said, "Boy," and she said something about how hot it was, and I said, "Not like the summers in Portland, Oregon, huh?" And she took a deep breath and looked at me and said, "Are you Ed Rooney's son?" And uh, she made the connection in, in a heartbeat like that. Um, so you knew it, though. So you were so just kind of hanging. Oh, yeah, of yeah. course. I knew. Sally Struthers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the most famous, right. you know, Grantonian ever. Yeah. Um, so it was cool to be, you know. Um, so they grayed my hair a little bit because I'm a little younger than her. Right. But, uh, but, yeah, that was kind of cool. And, uh, that was way cool. Yeah. Oh, man, that's a great story. That's a great connection there. So I got to know her better and ended up shooting about, I don't know, 16 or 17 episodes. Yeah, with her. Definitely. But now you're. Oh, mm -hmm. go ahead. I was no, say, no, no. I was going to ask you. So you, you've grown up here in Portland, Oregon. At what time, you know, with that large of a family, was it a a performing family, or was this something? You, no, you know? it wasn't necessarily. I had a couple siblings that were interested in the acting thing. Um, uh, the atmosphere there was though that um, um, do what you love. And so we were encouraged as kids to just do what we gravitated toward. And uh, my mom's attitude was not one of worry and um, fear, uh, but one of, hey, if you do what you love, you're going to have a roof over your head, you're going to eat. And those are the basics in life. That's what you need. So be happy. And maybe you're not going to make that much money, but you're not going to starve, in America anyway. Fortunately, we live in America where that, that is absolutely true. But uh, yeah. Someplace else, maybe that attitude wouldn't work, but here it did, and so we were all encouraged to go, go our own ways, and we kind of all did. Interesting. And, you know, uh, that's some really, really great advice. I mean, just when you all just throw everything away, you just like, because at the bottom of it is somebody is a creative person. Um, mm -hmm. There was this thing a friend of mine and I were talking about. It's almost sometimes a curse and a blessing, because <laughs> mm -hmm. when you have this creative need, this, <clears throat> this need to express it comes in all these different forms, but at the same time, it can almost feel like. Ah, crap, I'm an artist. <laughs> like, you just, like, right. you, there's no way around it. So do you yeah. remember, like, uh, uh, maybe, like, first moment that, like, you got the acting bug? Uh, I just always had it. Um, um, I remember I was the one child in the family when visitors would recall um, when they would visit the Rooney family, there's all this commotion, kids running around, yet in the middle of that storm was Ted Rooney sitting in front of, the, little Teddy sitting in front of the television, completely absorbed. And you could call his name, you could try and distract him, but he was focused. And uh, uh, it's, which is kind of a sad story, but at the same time, it emphasizes what I would say is one of my curses and gifts, is that I have this focused imagination. And uh, when I watched something on TV as a kid, it wasn't just that I enjoyed it or I enjoyed the story, it's that I felt like I was in the story. <laughs> and, uh, and so I always knew I had that active imagination, not that we don't all have it, but mine was particularly single-minded. Uh, it's frightening to see my son in a, a 
to have a similar personality, actually. Oh, really? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, my mom would, someone would say, well, I saw your son, uh, I, I think I saw your son about 10 blocks from here underneath a bush singing and pulling the flowers off of the bush. Oh, that's Ted. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tom, Tom would walk back the mile and a half from Madeline grade school in 15 minutes, 15.5 minutes, and I, I would take, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. Oh, um, my gosh. So that was my personality, and I kind of knew that about myself. Um, and it seemed like acting or creating stories and living out stories was my calling. And do you remember when you're watching these TV shows, do you have, like, one show that sort of struck you differently that you can remember? <laughs> oh. Uh, like, just like a moment that just, moment. like... Uh, no, I, I, uh, I don't. I, I just, I, anything and everything I would watch, you could, you'd had to pull me away from the TV. Interesting. Um, so no, um, I don't have a specific one that because just that's just who I was, you mm. know, for better or for worse. And in, in in my case, kind of as a youth, for worse, I feel like I missed out on a lot of life because I spent so much time watching, you know. Um, so. Yeah, I was just thinking because... Um, I was never discouraged by my parents to, to be an actor, so I never felt that with what a lot of actors feel, like a questioning of should I be doing this. It was just right. up to me, basically. That's really, that's pretty tremendous. I think uh, I understand, like, my dad's an artist, and so we grew up in a household of, I guess, still smell the oil and the kerosene and the paint thinner in the house because he would paint for a living and sell it to galleries. And in between, he had a really strong work ethic where, you know paper route or whatever he was doing to make up ends meet but then he was just strictly like I'm an artist so we grew up with this oh wow this 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 concept of just like go for it be an artist my wife wow. comes from a whole different different upbringing with a military family oh and yeah my father-in-law is a retired lieutenant colonel in the marine mm -hmm. so and and her wow. her grandfather was in the army and served under Patton and everything like that so Whoa. it's like one of those uh, he's a um, colonel there as well so it was one mm -hmm. of those things like she's very rigid uh, strict way so mm -hmm. seeing when to get together family together she so could see like our family which much more in the mm -hmm. looser creative side uh, it kind of work I guess it works out pretty well together but mm -hmm. um, so obviously I'm assuming you were in high school part of the theater the drama program I was but um, uh, I, I remember in your your questions you you sent to me there was something about where was that point where you took a risk or took that chance or went for it and faced your demons or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, early on, I was very discouraged, not by my family, but by, I don't know, the gods in general. Um, when I was in high school, I tried to be an actor, and I never got a lead part in any of the productions. My dream was to be a lead in one of the musicals, and I, my senior year, I, I got a couple lines in the final you know, musical play, and I, I did uh, one or two plays there, but... Um, not much success, but the real uh, crossroad for me was uh, when we went to the state competition my senior year, the thespian competition in Salem, and um, John Curtis and I worked on a scene from Woody Allen play and worked our butts off, and I knew I was going to be an actor. I, I, I felt that calling, as I said, from a very young age. I, I didn't really question it. And until um, we got a D on our scene that we brought to the state competition. Whoa. And I also remember one of the speakers saying, if there's anything else you can do besides act, do it. And I thought, well, I'm good at a lot of things. I, I, 
it's it's just a passion of mine, but I have a lot of things I'm really good at. So at that point, I gave up the idea of acting, and I cried all the way home on the yeah. bus. <laughs> that is amazing. I mean, you hear these stories, but somebody just being point blank, like uh, an opinion. But I know I just yeah. realized, okay, um, I'm obviously not. I don't have the ability I thought I might have had, and uh, and I was not encouraged in high school to be an actor. So I, I gave it up, but it it only took me. A, well, it took me three years before um, I decided to um, transfer to Lewis and Clark, give up on my dream of becoming a basketball star, um, and uh, and change my major to theater. So my junior year, I changed my major to theater out of the blue, seemingly from the people that knew me. Um, but for me, I just it, I faced that fear, so to speak, and uh, and went for what I knew I wanted to do. Did and you from then on it was no turning back, but was it do you remember like even though you had like this dark night of the soul where you know everybody's <laughs> against and you just you know shifted your focus what did can you remember was there a moment uh, or is this something inside that says, damn it, I'm just gonna do this or was it time to like register <clears throat> or something that just dis- I mean, you made that decision uh, well, dark night of the soul is a little dramatic um, because <laughs> I, 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 I i I do have other things I enjoy doing and things I'm good at and um, I didn't. Um, I felt sad, but I didn't feel like I'd lost my soul. Um, right. uh, life is a lot more about just you know one thing or the other. Um, and in general, I like to ground myself on the fact that life is is about a lot more than just acting or whatever you know you're into. It's about people and you know how much you give and not how much you get and all those good mm-hmm. things. And and no matter what you're doing, you can practice that stuff. So. Dark Night of the Soul, for me, those happen when I realize how much I'm failing in that regard, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, so dram- that's a little dramatic for as an actor because it's not my everything, you know? It's just, it was my passion, and it has been my passion, and, um, and it's something I felt drawn to as a little child. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so, no, you know, it was just more of a pragmatic decision. I, I knew I wanted to do it. It was a risk. It was, there was some fear involved. But, again, I came from an atmosphere of you can do it, you know. And well, I'm trying not to get emotional here because the moment I mentioned my mom. Oh, see, there you go. No, yeah. it's okay. Uh, 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 an atmosphere of, um, you know, you do it. Um, Nike said it well, just do it, and my mom lived it out. Yeah. Uh, grit and determination is what wins the day. And so, so just that, a little bit of that rubbing off on me made it easy to make the decision. Well, I'm going to do it. I don't care what, you know, people have told me in the past. and It is scary, but at the same time, uh, I know it's going to work out. Yeah, yeah. So. That's, it's, it's inspiring to hear you. I mean, and, and, to, and I think that the listeners were getting I inspired as well just because that's at the core <clears throat> I think that's what rings true to a lot of people it's just somebody saying you know F it just do it just do it and live it and you know but well live it is, is well put in my opinion when you're living uh, uh, listening to your fears and worries and this is going to sound a little preachy but it's true truth is truth and I know you know it um, when you're living according to those you're really not living when you're facing those and saying, um, and, and what you know, the opposite of fear is faith. So really, you're ha- you're you're resting on your faith. What you know in your core is true, or can be true. 
And uh, when you act in faith, you're really living. And when you're acting fear, you're really not. That's just my opinion. And uh, and as scary as it is, you know, if you want to choose life, you rest on your faith. Faith in whatever that is, you know, um, it's something higher than the fears that you're you're looking at. Something greater, something stronger. And uh, so, yeah, so I want to live, you know, but I, I live for my fears and worries, too. And that's that's when I you know have those dark night moments mm-hmm. of the yeah, soul yeah. because I'm 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 doing the things I don't want to do and I'm not doing the things I want to do. Um, the human you know dilemma why do why do we continue to you know not live? But um, it's 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 a you know it's a struggle. But the victory comes in living, and that's my choice. You know, hopefully in the end. That's, that's pretty amazing. I. That's some, that's so that applies good, to acting and applies to living. Yeah. And that's one of the, you know, great, uh, one of the nice um, justifications for being, me being an actor because being human is much more important to me is that becoming a good actor makes me a better person. I, I, and vice versa. Yeah, I concur. I think just getting back into acting and so on, that the, the experience I've had on set and... Um, it definitely makes you feel like it's almost like this microcosm of life, you know, because like you said, it's the, the art of listening, reacting, and giving and being there for your partner so that you can elevate that moment. It's not necessarily the scene, it's just that everything else washes away and it's just you two or you amongst other people. Mm-hmm. And it's this weird uh, visceral energy that comes from it that is a rush, like when you, when you leave it. Like, you might not feel like you did the best sometimes, but there's still something undeniable about it that that focus, and you come away, it feels, it does. It, it, well, if you're truly doing it, it's, it's like you said, a microcosm of that, that human victory of living and, and facing your fears, which might be what people think, which might be that this is a million-dollar set, and I'm, what if I screw up? All those little voices... You're, you're saying no to that and yes to being in the moment. And if you truly do that, if you truly have success through that and you're not paying lip service to it, but mm-hmm. it's a true experience, of course it's, it's, it rocks. But just as it does in life, you know, yeah. it, it's, it, it is life. And, and you're becoming a better person for having that victory, you know, and hopefully it translates to your daily life as well, you know. Yeah, you know, um I have to agree because it was just, you know, just getting back into reaching out to the local community in Portland about a year and a half ago. The whole ride has been wonderful. It's just been exciting to meet new people and and just that energy, that positive energy just moving forward and learning things from other people. You know, prior to that, it might have been a little stagnant uh, or stale in sort of my daily interactions, you know, and you just want to grab it sometimes, your, your own soul and being just shake it a little bit just to, to wake up you know right you're stepping out in faith you're taking a risk you're starting something that isn't there you're 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 imagining something and and stepping into it in faith and that means you're living yeah and I, I've I really had like some that. yeah go ahead I was saying, I really like what you said just I want to re- just phrase that again the opposite of fear is faith and just yeah. and living in that faith is living that's, that's, I don't know how simple, more simple you fear is, is uh, to be over dramatic, fear is death. Yeah. <laughs> Living for fears and worry is, is in chains, you know. Uh, that's, that sounds very dramatic, but uh, you've, I think I feel it. I feel when I'm living that way, and I feel when I'm living freely and fully. Um, 
yeah, in my in my career, I've had crossroads again where I, I make that decision to take the risk, and it always, always, it's it's uh, it's a good thing. It, it may not be what I expected. It may be different, but it's always good. Uh, I think uh, I think that's part of living life: is are you a risk taker or are you not? Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not always, and none of us are always. Uh, risk taker and stepping on in faith always but you want to do that in life and uh, the challenge to you know to all of us is to do that uh, and uh, but what if it doesn't work out but all those fears you know but this is a stupid blah, 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 blah. just do it just do it just do it and then see what happens you can always you know you're never going to starve and what's the fear what's the worst that could happen so getting out of grad school I moved to New York City to become an actor mm. that was a moment that was it was uh, you know New York City, you know, I've never wor worked as an actor, and I'm going to do this. So that was a that was a big one, and then um, and then leaving all that I had built in New York behind and starting from scratch in Los Angeles, um, driven by the ideas I wanted more stable lifestyle. So if I had a family, you know, I wanted to be able to support them and not not be around, just yeah. be around. And Los Angeles is conducive to that. So my uh, my um, idea of moving to Los Angeles was that film acting or on-camera acting would support my theater habit because I still had the my strongest passion has always been theater acting um, and I wanted to stay grounded in Los Angeles and to make on-camera work your your goal right it's, it can be really shaky and, and you may work but I, and like I did but half of the jobs I did was were commercial work or you know dressed up as a clown and you know how artistically satisfying is to is to do that one day out of the month? Yeah. So theater was was what grounded me and kept me, you know, moving forward as an actor and kept me you know, fulfilling my passion, so to speak. Um, so, and that was a that was a, another big risk. And I, I just did it though. I just moved there and it worked out, you know. But it had it not that what's it doesn't work out for a lot of people, but it doesn't mean they've lost their soul or anything. So Interesting. And wherever you are, there are people, and, and that's what life is about, right? Yeah. So um, my wife didn't like living in Los Angeles and uh, asked me six, seven years ago, can we not live here? And I thought, okay, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I work here. It's, it's a gift horse. It's, I'm looking into the mouth, and, but... <laughs> But Lori doesn't want to leave her and I want to be, you know, I want my partner to be happy and I want to be happy. So I suggested my hometown and um, we moved away from work and moved up here. And that was a, a risk. Um, I have to say I was like, um, initially I was like uh, uh, Abraham. Um, I don't know if you know the Bible very well, but he, he, looked, he was looking over his shoulder uh, at Egypt when they left Egypt mm -hmm. um, feeling like and I, I felt like I was looking over shoulder, my shoulder at that gift horse you know so the first couple of years up here I was flying down all the time yeah. to try, because of the work that was available to me there but our battle cry for moving up here was community and we weren't having it because we were living in two places at once uh. and finally uh, when Betty our second child was on the way we adopted her but mm -hmm. she was en route we had had that conversation it's like we're either here or we're there and uh that was that was the risk moment for me um the choice of uh of risk or or taking the safe choice which is not a bad choice going to los angeles but i don't think it was the best choice for us yeah 
But the best choice for us meant a huge risk in that I, did, I had no idea how I was going to make a living if I was going to stay here because you can't. To make a living as an actor in Portland, I mean, come on, it's Portland. <laughs> so, um, at least fully, you know, and some actors do because they parcel together some commercials, some stage, some film. But, um, but as a SAG actor and an equity actor, I knew that was going to be a tough one for me. Anyway, um, yeah, that was, that was probably the, the, the most fear and worry I've ever faced in my entire life because I I mean, to know that you have work somewhere and, and security. Yeah. And it was something you enjoyed doing. But... Um, and that was seven years ago? Uh, well, we had moved here seven years ago, but then that was about four years ago. Okay, so when, make that. When um, we had that conversation and we decided to stay here. And if I had not been an actor, I'd be a teacher. And I always right. knew that. I substitute taught in Manhattan, okay. and I loved it. I ended up coaching a basketball team with the kids there. I, uh, I, I ended up working in a couple of the same schools where a lot of the kids thought I was a regular teacher. Um, <laughs> yeah, just and I just loved you know being engaged in their lives and influencing their lives and being a you know positive influence with kids and just getting to know them. All that you know, just have, have a heart of a teacher. And uh, so I figured, okay, I'll I'll teach I'll teach here in Portland, and. Um, and so the risk, the joy that that risk brought was forcing me because I'm a lazy person. I, <laughs> I, I will do as little work as necessary. Um, but it, it forced me to uh, uh, figure out how to do this teaching thing. I never would have done it otherwise. And so it forced me to, do, uh, to live out a passion of mine in life. So um, what a kind of... Um, what a lovely reward for taking that risk. Um, now I couldn't be happier. I, I think I'm more passionate about teaching than I'm about acting. Interesting. And um, well, and uh, community again. We moved up here for community. And as an actor in Los Angeles, you're on the set for one or two days. Mm -hmm. You may enter a community, a lovely community that you'd love to be a part of and make all that money. Um, right. <laughs> but you have to walk away from it, and so it's a very socially disjointed kind of life. And um, and teaching here has brought me into the community in a huge way and into people's lives in a huge way. And I'm having that, you know, hopefully positive influence on people's lives. Right. At the same time, you know, I'm helping support my family. And, um, but it was a scary time when I was there that summer, four years ago, three and a half years ago, when I was down in my basement scheming this whole thing, mm. that, that insanity you and I talked about, it's a little crazy. Will yeah. people come? If I build it, will they come? Do I have anything to offer? Yeah. What is my plan? And just brainstorming that, I, 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 the, the worry and the fear came at me. But um, uh, in the end, I, I hope, I think I'm, I'm offering something with the community and uh, I see people seem to agree and um, and uh, there's food on the table, so yeah. Well, you know, could be happier. This is fascinating. You know, it's interesting because it's, you know, I, wrote, I had written a, written a blog post about that. It was a contest for why being in like an online authority is so important. And I had written it based off like uh, Buddha had said that the greatest gift is to give people to um, share your ideas. And so this this concept of reaching enlightenment, reaching in a state of nirvana or, or uh, some expert um, knowledge or experience, but to, to come down and share it to the, the villagers and the, the commoners again. So you had to reach, and then the hero's journey, it talks about that too, Joseph Campbell, 
talks about returning the elixir to you know the village because you a, a hero goes to this journey of you know fighting all these beasts and slaying all these beasts into the last you know beast level you know and video games play the same way <laughs> but then you have to grab whatever it is the magic elixir and then return that that knowledge and elixir back to the com you know the village that has not gone on that journey with you and so that's a common uh, thread about just the teachings, you oh, know, as people. doesn't make sense in my old age that I would uh, be passing on to others. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But then let me ask you something. We'll go back to New York. So you finished graduate school, right? So where'd you go to graduate school? Temple University. Okay. So then you decide, like, I'm going to move to New York. And I've always heard that if you're going to be an actor, you got to get out to New York because nowhere in the world can you see such a, a eclectic mass of humanity together that'll just add to your experience of just people watching and just um, applying that to your craft because you know in Los Angeles there's sort of a different like it almost feels like all the 1% of the beautiful people in the world all congregate to like Los Angeles and yeah, LA is different there's yeah. no question about and that so, and not only that but they also bring with them sort of what they perceive LA should be mm -hmm. but if you meet people that are local uh, uh, local um, uh, what do you call it born and bred there in Los Angeles peop um, natives they're not like that at all they're sort of very normal <laughs> it's right. like all the all those baggage that people bring from around the world into what they believe that they should be doing mm -hmm. in Los Angeles sort of escalates that that facade of what people have a, a, a beef about sometimes with mm -hmm. LA being fake and so on like that. But but it is interesting. But New York is a whole different. Right. Whole of, what was that experience like? Deciding like I'm going. Did you have stuff already set up with like a theater group or something or? No, no, I didn't. Um, unfortunately, like most uh, MFA programs. Uh, professional actor training programs, quote-unquote, in America, um, they really don't set you up with the real world at all. It's uh, <laughs> so, it's like, congratulations on your MFA. See you and want to be you. And um, <laughs> so start really having to start from scratch. No connections whatsoever. And what was it like? It's, it's you know, it's daunting. It's New York City. But um, I being a Rooney, it's like one step at a time, just grit and determination, find a place to stay for as cheap as possible, use a bike to get around, um, uh, don't ever eat out, um, cook my own food, rice and beans, whatever it takes in order to um, be able to free myself up to audition. So that's when I started working as a substitute teacher and I gave myself a deadline because I, I I see, I met actors that had been there 10 years and hadn't cracked it yet. And I, I just, I feel like I need deadlines as a personality, but also, you know, life is short. Either do it or don't. So, I, and I, I did get criticism from the actors that I did this. I gave myself a two-year challenge to make a living as an actor in two years. So I started by substitute teaching, which I thought was a very smart choice. In hindsight, I see that at the time I wasn't sure what I was doing, but <laughs> it's like, yeah, that was a great choice because you could, on any given day, if you had an audition, you could always go to it, and half of them you could go to in the afternoon anyway after school was out. So I freed myself up to audition at the same time, made enough money. In three days, um, two to three days of substitute teaching did it enough for me because I'd cut my overhead down so low. And people would always ask me, how do you, you know, how do you get by? And how, you know, they're, they're living paycheck to paycheck. And I, I would tell them, I don't eat out. <laughs> and well, I, you know, yeah, well, I hardly ever eat out. I don't, don't eat. eat out. 
if they would look at how many times they ate out and how much money they spent doing that. So that was one of the big cost, yeah. cost cutters for me. In New York, they always had these parties where they'd uncreative parties where they throw it at a restaurant instead of someone's apartment. Right. So you had to, you know, pay the right. $50 to go to the party. So I'd always show up late and say, oh, I'm sorry, I had something going on. I'd show up for dessert or whatever and I'd buy a $5 <laughs> dessert. But uh, I just was really a scavenger as far as uh, really protecting my audition time, my availability to moving my acting career, go, you know, forward. Mm. I just begged, borrowed, and stole in order to make that make myself available and move forward as an actor. And because I gave myself that, and because I'm lazy, um, a lazy person, but I gave myself that deadline, I had that fire under my ass, and I got it done. I mean, I sent out postcards, I banged on doors, I did everything necessary to get myself seen. And 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 my, one of my big, biggest weaknesses coming into town was auditioning. Again, out of an MFA program, by the way. Um, <laughs> I didn't know anything about the business. But I knew that I was a nervous auditioner. And so uh, another one of the smartest things I did was I auditioned for anything and everything that moved. Uh, not female roles, but everything else. I would walk in a room and they'd look at me like, what the heck are you auditioning for this for? You know, we said short squat people. Yeah. Um, but uh, in a three-week period, I gave myself um, a free auditioning intensive workshop by auditioning for uh, 51 um, projects in three weeks. And by the end of um, that three weeks, uh, I had settled down, you know, and I'd, I, I was more in my element uh, in an audition room than I was, you know, um, in other realms of life. Was it so. uh, nerves? Like when you like, what was the what was the hurdle that you had to get over for yourself? I think the biggest thing for for most of us is uh, our subcon. We try and tell our subconscious, "This is normal. This is what I do." And your subconscious is like, no, it isn't. Are you kidding me? This is weird. And it is weird. Um, but if you only audition once a month, it, it's also not something you do. It's you do it every once, once a month, and it's, it becomes this big deal. Um, but it's also a little weird, so you have to get used to it. So part of that is just by doing it, you know. And now, now and after 51 auditions, I tell myself, yeah, I just do this. And my subconscious is like, yeah, you know, you do. And so it's not that big of a deal anymore. Well, also part of it's practice. And um, creating that focus, you know, that, um, that, that kind of um, creative bubble that you do your best work in. You know, if you're not comfortable, that bubble gets popped the moment you walk in that room. And now you're in that ooh, weird zone of auditioning. Right. But it, that space in the audition room needs to become a very comfortable, normal place where, in which you move and breathe as a human being not as an actor and uh, so that was always a target goal of mine and, um, yeah that was a, that is a, yeah. you know that is some great advice just sharing that experience of getting to a place where you're just comfortable to create in that space you know to to be to be focused on your craft yeah. in that space and not making it feel foreign right. and uh, that's that's some great stuff so what, other, what was the breakthrough that you had in New York that was like that you can share with us like that exhilarated you like oh my gosh this is actually happening Did, what was that do you have a uh, moment like that uh, yeah I, I booked a Wendy's spot wow <laughs> a national commercial that did you that have a national commercial that's dangling in front yeah, of you yeah. know of every actor um uh, I, that made me feel legitimate. Wow, if I can book a national commercial, a Wendy's commercial. Yeah. So it shows how low the bar was right. for me. But 
um, there's just this feeling that this whole realm of professional acting that I may be a good actor, but professional actors are like these beings from another planet, right? Mm -hmm. So to be able to include myself in that family of creatures was something... Um, so yeah, I think I think the Wendy spot made me feel like, oh yeah, I can do this. <laughs> Funny enough, <laughs> I played a Canadian Mountie and used a Dudley Do Right voice. I think I may remember that one. I'll save you, something like that. Yes, I think I remember that. One. <laughs> <laughs> Big victory for me in my career. Do um, you, as you're working, I had you, an agent then, by the oh, way. Oh yeah, yes. I was just curious. Yeah. It's like you know, obviously you know, pounding the pavements and stuff like that. Yeah. Did you, well, yeah. Now I was going to ask you: Do you make sometimes like a conscious decision to? I guess you, if you're at where you're at, you're just being. But sometimes, when you're going through your working process of like how you're going to approach a scene or a scene, even a simple audition, like you say, a, it could be a commercial where you just show up for like this grocery store and they just need you to say, "Well, how would you like that bag, miss?" You know, something as simple as that. Mm-hmm. What part in your brain works on like what would make this interesting? You know, or, you know, like, because you hear about those things, like, don't just be just the bag boy, you know, be the most interesting bag boy that we've seen, you mm-hmm. know, but, um, but as an actor, what, have you seen other actors of, like, get into a place where if you force it too much, obviously becomes... Un- I think that's a slippery slope to start saying, be the most interesting bag boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that tends to put actors in their head and tends them trying to, uh, tends to put them out of this is really happening and into this is me performing. So, um, and that's what I, you know, coach my actors on. This is, it's like it's really happening, okay? Re- not really, really happening. It's not a scene. It's really happening. And I have to tell myself that over and over again as well. It takes me usually three reallys before I have the, oh, oh. like it's really happening? Yeah, you idiot. <laughs> it's not acting. It's not a scene. Um, so early, uh, in my initial on-camera class, I do something called the workplace scenes where people are just doing a mundane job um, and it's just the middle of the day and there's not a special event happening. There's not something dramatic. It's just life. And, um, and it's specifically for the reason if they get an audition for a character like that in Grimm where it's, it's not a trumped-up existence. Mm-hmm. They're just serving the script as a normal person in daily life that when they do walk in the audition room, they're like, workplace scene. This is, this is a workplace scene. I'm just doing my gig. I'm not trying to be interesting. I'm just doing my gig. And, and, and if they're su- successful in doing that, they are interesting because there's nine out of the ten actors walking in the room are trying to be interesting, and they're the one that actually is doing their job as a bag boy. Yeah, and yeah. that makes them interesting if they themselves are doing the job not some character they've created if they're doing it because you in your skin living and breathing in front of the camera is very very interesting and yeah. so few especially at the smaller with the smaller roles so many so few actors can do that and that, that makes you outstanding uh, in that sense you may steal a scene but in a good way as, oh here's someone real here's a human being not because you're trying to steal the scene by being super interesting. I, I just think most people, the most interesting, and um, who said this? Um, Rod Steiger, the most interesting character you can play is yourself because you come with all the bells and whistles already. <laughs> trying to play another character, you're going to be a little less interesting because it's not you. And, with, ah. and, uh, and you have to trust that. Some people are more interesting than others, but you yourself is the most interesting character you can play. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, that's fantastic. Because you always hear about, <clears throat> like, in the acting process, about sometimes it's always about preparing for this scene, and sometimes the scene is, you know, for a lot of beginning actors, it's like this almost like fictitious scene of like heavy drama. And the reality of a work a working actor is you show up and, like, this is the commercial. Just say like, you know, hi Bob. That's it. Remember your only your only lines or something like that. But all the things that go into that. And all that training behind it to give it the most believable performance of just delivering like a, a greeting, you know. Well, if acting is not acting, and you've made this big deal out of these this one line, "Hi, Bob," mm-hmm. you're 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 not there. You've made too big of a deal out of it because the "Hi, Bob" for that character in that moment, their headspace is just I'm saying hi to Bob. Yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. It's not a big deal. I don't get excited every time I say hi to Bob. But the actor is all excited and trying to act like they're not, and there's so much going on on the inside that confuses. And um, it reads the camera reads it, and yeah. I just want to see somebody say hi to Bob, you know. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, the work is to protect that you and your skin just really talking in a normal situation, you know. When you approach the auditioning process, um, do you go into just feeling like? This is my opportunity just to perform. I get to do this. Like, just to have this opportunity just to, to even audition is a, a gift in itself. Um, because how do you manage the, um, the emotional ups and downs of, like, that was so much fun. In, or, like, knowing, like, ah, I hope I can get it. If I don't get it, ah. Or, like, when you know you didn't get it, you're like, I didn't hear anything for a couple of days. So I'm like, oh, bummer. Or things like well, that. Well, I trained myself early on uh, you know, to, um, to uh, think about the next audition to not think about an audition, not look over my shoulder. The only reason you look over your shoulder at an audition is what can I learn from this as I move forward? What did I not do that I needed to do, not to beat myself up about it, but what can I learn from to move forward? What's my next one? And then leave it behind. It's dust, it's gone. Uh, that never helps in life and it never helps with auditioning. And you say the up and ups and downs, well I wanted to protect, I wanted to have a life that wasn't up and down, that wasn't emotionally a roller coaster. Therefore, um, I need to find a foundation away from acting. Life, things that are more important in life about acting. Auditions need to become a blip on the screen rather than a huge spike on the screen in my life. My daily life, yes, it, it, there's, a little, uh, there's a little upswing when it comes to an audition because it's fun and mm-hmm. it's, I get to do what I'm, like you said, what I love doing. But it, there needs to be perspective. If that's everything to me in life, there's going to be a big spike, which in the end, of course, I'm not going to do my best work. And that's what I want to protect. <laughs> but also, as a human being, my life is erratic and up and down. An actor's life does not have to be that way. It, it's, um, you can only control what you can control. And if you let other things... Um, influence where you're at as an actor of course you're going to be up and down I didn't get a phone call they didn't hire me they didn't like me why didn't they like me all that stuff you don't dwell on it and you can train yourself not to dwell on it what you're saying what you're doing when you do dwell on that stuff is you're accepting the lie that this is important yeah and um, and actors will pay lip service to the mentality I'm talking about but in truth behind closed doors they're obsessing about all those things that they have no influence over they can't do anything about um, and it's not helping them at all. It's dragging them down. It's making their life uh, an up and down roller coaster ride. But um, as long as uh, the tough one is when you're not auditioning at all. Yeah. But as long as I'm auditioning as an actor, um, that's my job, and I do that, and I move on. Once right. in a while, I get called on the set, 
as a fringe benefit, <laughs> and it's fun. It's super fun. It is. But it's not. It's not the end all and be all. Right. To do good work is the end all and be all. So if I can walk away from an audition and honestly say that was fun, yeah. Honestly, because actors might say, oh, that was fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> or, you know, um, and the worst, the actors walk out just hating themselves, you know, and they hated the whole experience. I hate auditioning. I, and it's hard. It is hard. It's the hardest thing we do as actors is to audition. But if you hate it, you know, that's your job. So do something else. Yeah. If you can't have fun doing what you do, like we started off the conversation about, you know, do something you love. And... The, the, a lot of actors love the idea of working, love the idea of being success, a successful actor, but do they love the process of acting, which includes, in a big portion, auditioning? No. Well, do something else or fix it. And it can be fixed with the proper mentality, with protecting, not going to those thoughts that are, you know, create spikes in your life and which deal with things you have, you have, you have no power over. Right. You have power over becoming a great actor a good auditioner, a professional, consistent auditioner. But part of that is protecting that, that work by not going there in these negative ways, which really are backed by L-I-E-S's, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, That's yeah, my humble yeah. opinion. <laughs> but it makes sense. Because so, to, so to protect that, I mean, I, I, I protect, practice that mentality of moving on, moving on. I truly, honestly, I would get a phone call from my agent. You booked it, dude. Uh, what, which, which one? <laughs> well, are you kidding me? It's the you know Fruit of the Looms ad. Yeah. Oh, that. What, what did I do? What? What? What was that? And I had to be reminded. And I, I'm truly that was my experience because I was truly, honestly thinking that way. And I can truly say I walk out on an audition, and not many actors can say this. Even even highly successful ones, because there's great actors who are awesome actors. But when it comes to auditioning, it's terrifying for them. Yeah. But I can walk out on an audition, not always, but I I have, and honestly say that was that was easy fun. That was fun. And what a great thing to, you know, love what you do for a living. And if it wasn't true that I could say that, I probably would be doing something else now. Yeah. And in the end, when you walk out of the audition that way, you know you're doing your best work too, right? Right. Let me ask you something real quick. Um, You have such a a huge body of work, you know, from theater to TV to film. And, you know, working both New York and Los Angeles... I don't want to like just you know trivialize it down to one thing or something like that. But can you recall like one or two experiences that were like that the auditioning process was challenging and vigorous, where you eventually got the job or maybe not got the job? It's just something you could share with saying like you know I worked a little bit. You talked about like working on ER before, where you said. I just had to calm down and just almost be still to, um, I can't even, you played a neo, not, not tol- neonatal surgeon, neonatal, neonatal surgeon, neonatal yes. specialist. Thank yeah. you. Um, things like that. I mean, I don't know if there's an experience you can share either from New York or Los Angeles to, to, I kind of just want to get in the skin of like, well, what was that like? Cause not well, a lot of, a, they are one's a good example of me. Um, what I, I say to my students is that, um, in, in Los Angeles, in general, I did um, good enough work. In other words, kind of as a lazy person, you do as much as necessary. So I felt like a lot of my auditioning and work in Los Angeles was good enough. I, I achieved good enough, which is not terrible. You do a lot of work to get to good enough. Um, and you know what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. But is it really my best? Am I really in my skin and really um, living in the moment, you know? 
um, that would be my best. And um, for ER, um, uh, <laughs> I also talk about simplicity in class. And I knew I, this was my first year in Los Angeles. I knew there was no way I could book it. I walked in the room and half of the guys I recognized. And they all <laughs> seemed to be 10 to 15 years older than me and more distinguished. I was 35 at the time. <laughs> and I thought, screw it. Uh, I'm, I'm letting this audition go. I'm going to use this because I know simplicity is huge on camera. As an ex I'm going to use this as an exercise in simplicity. I'm going to go in there and see how simple I can still be committed to the given circumstances, but how simple I can play this scene out physically and barely moving my mouth and nothing else. And I did that. And um, I came out of the room giddy because I, I just had fun. I wasn't nervous. I was just doing an exercise. It wasn't an ER audition that I was, you know, really hoping to book. I knew I wasn't going to. So that letting go is huge. Um, and, it, um, and I remember skipping across the parking lot, high-fiving myself, thinking I took this quote-unquote big audition and I turned it into an exercise and I had fun. And I, I was victorious. So I was happy. And then my agent called. And asked me, what the hell did you do? And I thought, oh, crap, I've, I've ruined it. I've, you know, let down this agent and everybody else because I didn't take the audition seriously. <laughs> no. He said, they were like, who is this guy? He's great. And you booked it. <laughs> and, oh, what did yeah. that feel? What did, I, could, I laughed my head off because I, you know, it, wasn't, it was more about how funny it was that I turned this into an exercise and I booked it. And it says something about how important simplicity is on camera. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was funny. I just, I couldn't believe it. And it turned into six episodes. Mm. So that was a, a big deal for me. But in the end, the acting that I did on ER, six episodes of ER, the, it was the number one show on TV at the time, um, could easily turn into something else. And it pretty much did not for me. Interesting. And I would say it's because my work on the show was good enough. It wasn't my best because that's my MO. I'll get it to good and leave it there. And um, my mentor through the years, not because I, I've kept in contact, because his voice is echoed from, um, from the time I was in the MFA program in Temple, uh, is echoed in my mind. The things he said, I've continued to work on and get better at. I called him and asked him about it. And he said, you know, wow, all that doctor speak, you just nailed it. How did you do it? That was amazing. But you know, um, they could train anybody to say that stuff. What was really going on with you? Where were you at? I was like, uh, I was uh, getting the dialogue right. I was keeping it simple. Uh, okay. But what was really going on with you? Uh, I didn't have an answer to that question. And that's the extra mile work. It's really stepping into the role. Forget about being simple and getting the lines right, you know. I'm a human being. And it doesn't mean something hugely interesting like you say needs to be happening or some special moments that I've brought to it. It just needs to be me present, fully present. And that, that's that extra mile work, which is better than good enough. And um, so since I've started teaching that, so another example of this, um, what you're talking about, um, uh, pivotal kind of audition moments, um, since I started teaching and, and uh, beckoning actors to doing, doing what I call day three work as opposed to day two, it's just an analogy, but uh, day two is good enough, day three is, is your best. And the bottom line for day three is that you're having fun. You're not working hard. At day two, you're working hard. You may do well, but you're going to do your best when you're having fun, when you're in your element and you're at play. That's what we're supposed to be. We're players. We're actors. It's, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's making believe after all, right? Yeah. So um, 
So giving the actors that, laying the gauntlet down for actors and giving them that challenge, I started to apply the same thing to myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, fancy and, that. And um, since then, I've, I've brought in more day three work or my best work or me having fun in auditions consistently than I ever have in my life. And, and the, it, it's shown. And so I had a video submission. My agent had to talk me into this video submission for um, Boardwalk Empire. Um, they were only seeing Ira uh, British and Irish actors because they know the Americans are going to botch it. And my, my agent had to convince them that I could do the Irish accent, which I could do an okay job of, but I, <laughs> but to nail it for realism TV, because on stage, you yeah. know, there's always some grace. If you give the essence of an accent, it's stage. We know it's, you know, a bunch of actors up on stage. Right. But for TV and film, we want to believe you really are an Irish person or you mm -hmm. really do come from New York City, you know. And if, if we don't believe it, we, we as an audience get irate because it's realism. It's supposed to be believable, right? Yeah. So that was a much... Anyway, I, I, they, they accepted a tape from me and they gave me a deadline. And I was working for... And with an accent, that's character work. So that's yeah. not just you being you. That's, that's, I saw, that's I saw your audition, stuff. by the way. Okay. And so, so it's going to take... To, once you add a bit of character to your character, to own it, it's it's um, it's a tall order, as I say. Being yourself, you know, you want to be able to do that. But now, if you want to stretch yourself to a character, that's going to take extra work. And in this case, doing an accent, it's going to take me three times as much work. Right. I didn't feel like I was ready to submit the audition um, by that Friday, and so, and I'm not a confronter, but. At using day three as my motive, as my driving force, I called my agent and begged for more time. And they gave me till Monday. And I put in that extra time. I did the work uh, because of that fire in my ass, which is live up to what I'm telling my students. Yeah. And I, I disclosed my process uh, for that very reason to one of my acting classes, let them know what I was going through and that I bought more time and I was going to get it to that place where I'm having fun. And I'm not thinking about the accent. I'm just there in the headspace of the character. And Robert Blanche, my buddy, um, had me come over on Sunday, that Sunday, to shoot the scene at his house. And he read with me, and he's, he's oh, that's great. What, okay, that's with his that's voice, great. right? Okay. Yeah, that was his voice. And, uh, and I read it one time through, and he's like, eh, it was good. It was, it was good. It was okay. But was I completely released, having fun in my skin? No. So again, I took the time to walk off in the corner and be that weird actor who's going to go that extra mile. Even though, I, you know, Robert Blanche is completely on my side. So, but yeah, yeah. there's that fear of being weird, which keeps us from doing our best sometimes, too. And I took a few breaths, and I got centered, and I got, and I, I, I got back in that zone and sat down and did a take. And Robert was like, that was it. And I agreed. So that was really cool. But I only got there because of that fire that was under my ass, that accountability factor, and, and I had a goal to get to day three and not have it acceptable to just be at day two, which was my MO right. for, for acting, you know, and for life. So there's a life lesson there. Here again, huh. becoming a better actor, hopefully a better person. Um, and um, booked it. Yeah, <laughs> so, it was. But it, regardless if I booked it or not, I, uh, uh, I was happy. And I walked away feeling like that was fun. Right. Yeah, it was a tremendous uh, so. audition. The reason I f I saw it was um, in class with uh, Michael Taylor Fontaine. I was talking about um, I was in an audition at Cast Iron, and the reader was reading two different parts, and so I was I just made the decision to look one way 
at the the first character to the reader, but mm-hmm. then I shift my focus, you know, off to you know to acknowledge that somebody else is talking. Then I was instructed just to keep it all on the on the reader, which is that was the instructions. But then uh, Michael wanted to show me like. You know, obviously, do, do what the casting director is asking you to do. But if you really want to see what it looks like, and so he sh- he shared this with me, your audition with me, and I get to see. I think I think there's like three, four characters, weren't they, in that audition scene? That or there's yeah, there's, yeah, yeah, there were three. So there was like three characters, all you know, read by Robert. But still, I could see where your eyes were shifting that there were three distinct different people, and right. I was just like, but it was very subtle, right. obviously. But still, <clears> I was like, ah. Oh, yeah, I, I would. I always that's st- uh, struck with me. Yeah, I think that's an important thing for auditions, especially for video auditions. When the people in the room aren't casting you, it's who cares. And if, if a casting director will tell me, well, could you just do it all to one person? I'd say, ah, I'd rather not. Oh, okay. Because first of all, for yourself as an actor, it feels weird to look at one person and say, you know, I like you, and then yeah. look at the same person and say, but I don't like you. Yeah, it's yeah, weird. Yeah. It's already there's already enough handicaps going into audition room. Give myself a break and give me give me another person to look at to say I hate you and I I like you. Yeah, Two yeah. different I I so that's helpful for me in telling me living the story. But in the end, the people that cast you are the ones not in the room but watching that little mm-hmm. uh, that that rectangle box, and they see you telling the story. And they believe it more because they see you looking at two people rather than looking at the same place. So right. it helps them too see the story and see you in the story. More importantly, um, so I always if if it's if it's two distinct people, I'm always going to have two eye lines. That's a, it's, I think that's a nice tip. Although some casting directors would say, nah, that's not necessary. But with Grimm, the people in the room, even the directors in the room. And they're usually, they don't have the power to cast the role. Yeah. The, the tape gets sent for, for medium to bigger roles. Mm-hmm. The tape gets sent to Los Angeles, and the executive producers are looking at the local auditions, you know, the Los Angeles actors and the Portland actors. We're, they're buttoning them up against each other, and they're looking them one after the other in that little box. Yeah. You know? And the, the professional actors, the Los Angeles actors, you know, make those kinds of choices to tell the story. And um, so you're, you know, you're handicapping yourself if you don't do that as a Portland actor. Who cares what they say in the room? It's, it's, it's the that's rectangle, you know, box that from which you get cast. When your uh, work on Grimm, did you were you brought in while you were up here in Portland, or was this? Are you you still have an agent at Los Angeles, don't you? I do, but I auditioned locally for Grimm. Okay, okay, so that's how it worked. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then Robert, you know, has done well. Get yourself well. on a, a steady work yes, the I, there. So Yeah, it's it's what every Portland actor hopes for yeah. is to get a recurring <laughs> role on Grimm and he 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 got it. That's great. So it's and huge. then you uh, Boardwalk Empire, how many episodes? There's like four? Three? Just two. Two, yeah. Just it's, two. It's only in their second season, so it's, it's um yeah. It, yeah, my my scene my yeah, scenes were in scenes. the second season. Okay, yeah. that's what it was, yeah. Anyway, so you you've done so many other work too do you have any other um, what was it like when you got to Los Angeles and you finally sort of were like on a TV show or like a a movie with um, some prominent actors like at what point did you get not say you're no longer starstruck like you just realize I'm here to do the job like or mentally did you get over that hurdle just over time well because it's a goal of mine too you know it's part of my mental practice Um, i I was always kind of there, 
Oh, I gotcha. But, but uh, because you're just doing your job, right? Yeah. On the other hand, one particular actor crosses your path and you can't help but, you know, oh my God, it's Robert <laughs> De Niro, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, all of us have certain actors that probably are always going to trigger a little bit of starstruckness. But in the end, um, you know, as a whole person, I don't want to find myself buying into the the current our current culture is we worship the stars mm -hmm. they are better people f for being stars than we are they are more than us they are more important than us and so when you come across a person like that you get all nervous because here's one of the gods in my life right yeah and uh i don't think that's a healthy attitude to have in life again i grew up watching tv so i, I grew up <laughs> worshiping, the, worshiping the whole thing so i'm, I'm in recovery <laughs> you know <laughs> Uh, but that's if you know if you know to fight against it, that helps a lot. But if you but if you buy into it completely, you're gonna always be starstruck, you know. Yeah. If the work doesn't trump trump all that other stuff, you know, and that's in the end, you know, no matter what you believe, if you just focus on the work and make that the priority, keep the main thing the main thing, it'll trump all those other things. Do, is there a particular actor uh, promise that you worked with that was a surprise, like just the experience was like that you learned from them uh, or any little, um, I don't know, tidbits or something? Um, well, all the good actors are really good listeners and are very present. It's startling. I mean, there are so many good actors. It's just unbelievable. The, the, the um, brilliant actors, you know, are, yeah. are less, but good actors... That takes a lot to get to that place, and Hollywood is full of them. So it's startling how many good actors you run across. Um, there's also a ton of mediocre actors that get successful, as, yeah. as we all know. However, um, and, and, and genuinely humble people. Humble in that they're, they're welcoming to you. They, it's just not all about them. So that's one thing that's startling is how, how welcomed I was by um, in most of my experiences with actors. And... Um, uh, how little, you know, we hear about the egos, but um, I think if you really want to be a good storyteller, you have to submit yourself to the story. So there has to be some humility involved in the process. Mm -hmm. So it does create um, folks that are like that. But we hear about the bad stories, but so other than that, I did have a couple bad experiences with actors. You know, where they were aloof and they wouldn't talk to me and stuff. That yeah. was startling. After I got to know the norm, the norm was welcoming, accepting, not not a competitive feeling at all, a supportive feeling. And that's why, you know, I wanted to be a part of one of those families yes. and make all that money. <laughs> 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 to be a regular on a series. Ah, oh. Community yeah. and money. <laughs> um, but, no, I, yeah, I just... Real good listeners and real genuine people. How often um, are you in contact with your uh, your agent to do work still commuting to Los Angeles, or do you do that? I mean, it's only tape submission now. Since oh, okay. I, so we we put down that um, you know we right. decided to make that decision. So I was no longer flying down for stuff. Uh, I just had to tell myself um, video submissions only, and it's because the norm is still it's still old school. Uh, the same casting directors are in place that insist on people see seeing people in the room. The technology is there, and it's even be it'd be more expedient to just click on QuickTime files. You can always stop an audition without being rude. Mm -hmm. uh, ten, min ten seconds in, I don't like this actor. 
Whereas in real time, you have to sit through the whole audition. So it's going to be more expedient for them. They can see more actors that way. Um, and you're watching them on camera, which is, you know, yeah, which is how you need to see them. Um, but they haven't tra made the transition yet. So it's still, it's a, it's a tall order to get me in the room with my video submissions. So I, I, I once every three months, I do a, a video audition. Good gosh. Yeah. Okay. So, that makes sense, though. I, I understand. I, um, they want it, you there. You got to be there. Yeah. He's not because then you become that unusual story. They don't like unusual stories. They just want to <laughs> see the actor in the room. And that concludes my interview with actor Ted Rooney. And man, there's a lot of good stuff in there. And I hope uh, those who stuck around this long to listen to it got a lot of good information, especially for an actor or even a filmmaker trying to understand what actors go through and you know from their perspective. Anyhow, if you've stuck around this long. Please treat yourself to a gift if you go to freegearguide.com. That's freegearguide.com. You'll receive a free resource guide with that highlights all the equipment that I use to make a feature film with no crew. Yes, a feature film with no crew. So go ahead and head on over to freegearguide.com. Treat yourself. And again, thank you so much for listening to the Film Trooper Podcast. Mm -hmm.